What defines crazy? One way Urban Dictionary defines crazy is someone who will go against the rules. A person who acts in a manner that normal society does not approve of. We would add that crazy can be defined as enigmatic, meaning mysterious or speaking in riddles, often misunderstood. God tells us in Isaiah 55, 8-9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yet even though he is enigmatic, he tells us in seven places in scripture that if we seek him, we will find him when we search with all of our heart. Journey with us as we seek him and explore the evidence that confirms God be crazy. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go again. Girls, what's my weakness? Sin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's all of our weakness. Uh, So as you've noticed, the podcast title, um, we're talking about sex. Yes. Baby. And this is a topic that Christian people ought to be talking about because you know what? The world's definitely talking about it. For sure. Everywhere and every place, everything you go, we're totally a over-sexualized world. So we need to be talking about it too, because if we're not talking about it, we're getting educated in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about sex today, and we're talking about what it looks like to be single and dating. What does that look like in marriage? What is God's plan for you and for us? throughout each stage of our lives. So if we're going to talk about sex, we should probably define it. Mm -hmm. The Oxford English Dictionary defines it as physical contact between individuals involving sexual stimulation, sexual activity, or behavior. And I'm just going to throw this out there because I know um, a lot of people ask, does that include oral sex? Yes, it does. If it's in the title. If sex is in the title, (laughs) it is sex. Yes, so that means oral sex, means anal sex, any kind of sexual stimulation. What does that say? Physical contact between individuals involving sexual stimulation. And that involves you as an individual. Yes. So that would include masturbation is a form of sexual activity. Right. Right. So in asking ourselves, how do we honor God with our sexuality? So in this podcast, we talk about your spirituality, mm-hmm. your relationship with God. How, how you, what does that look like in regard to your emotional life, your mental life, your thought life, um, how you spend your money, like dancing around the places of our lives and asking, am I surrendered to God in these areas? Mm-hmm. Sexuality is one of those areas where we just don't touch it. It's none of our business what everybody's doing. Well, to a degree, it's not, but it is because it is a part of ourselves that has to be consecrated to Christ. Yeah. And so it's a part maybe we don't talk about because there is a secrecy to it. Well, and to, to elaborate on what you said, it is when we enter into a relationship with Christ and when we submit ourselves to him, we have to do so fully. Mm-hmm. And that is including a sexual submission. Mm-hmm. And it's an easy place not to surrender because people don't know what you're doing exactly. in that department. So if I am living, if my sexuality is not surrendered to Christ, there are 
a lot of ways you'll never see that. Exactly. What I do in secret in my bedroom or someone else's mm-hmm. is None of your n- is not going to be known by you because right. maybe you're not invited. You know, <laughs> like we don't let we don't sound a big foghorn whenever those these things occur and let mm-hmm. everybody know what we're up to, and so. We and as there's like this unwritten rule too, like don't ask, don't tell about those kinds of things. Like it's none of your business. When if we are living in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be calling each other to be sanctified, right? In Christ, and so that actually reminds me in First Thessalonians. This is First Thessalonians. Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 3, it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So he's asking us to be sanctified, to avoid and avoid sex that is not in his plan and to control our bodies in a way that we maybe wouldn't naturally control it. And that scripture in Thessalonians reminds me of the one in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, mm-hmm. 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So today, the purpose of this whole discussion about sex is how can we honor God with our bodies? How do we honor God with our sexuality? How do we lay down whatever our flesh desires and ask the question, God, you made the body, Mm -hmm. you gave me the body, what do I do with this body and with the sexuality that you gave me to honor you and say thank you for this gift that you've given me? If everything you have given me, God, is not mine, but yours, how do I give it back to you in Mm -hmm. an honoring way? And thinking of it this way for me is so different when I've come into a relationship with God I don't look at it like my 16-year-old self looked at. Right. Can't have sex, shouldn't have sex. God said not to have sex. That is just like a, that mentality is so, uh, oh, God, I've matured so much since then, and I'm thankful for thankfully, that. Thankfully, right? <laughs> thankfully. Thankfully we mature. Oh, God, thankfully. You know, this, it, it is not as difficult for me to control my sexual urges today as it was when I was 16, because I have a deeper understanding and relationship and bond with God. I am so grateful. I spend, God and I talk a lot, and I spend a lot of time 
talking to him about the things that I'm just amazed by. And when I really get connected to the gift of what he has given me in my body, what my body can do. You know, I've had, I've given birth to two kids and that is just incredible, the whole process. I mean, it really, I am in awe of what he has given me. And I'm so thankful even to be, that my body works the way that it's supposed to. And when I think about the body itself and all of the just insane wisdom and, you know, just the details of such a structure, I'm amazed at it. And I want to give it to him out of all that he has given to me. It is a way that I say thank you by honoring him with my body and doing with it what he says. So how do we do that? Because the truth is, I also have this thing in me called my own desires. Yeah. And well, and I think it's important that you were there. talking about the maturity level that you're at now and mm-hmm. your understanding of your sexuality and your body now versus what it was when you were 16. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's one thing that we should touch on a little bit is the immature person versus mm-hmm. a mature person. Right. Or a mature, like if you're new to your walk with God or new to, new to a relationship, new to Christianity, new to even just exploring what it is like have, getting to know the person of God, like the character of God, then um, it'll be, I, I think it'll be a lot harder also because you're used to living life um, for yourself or just acting on what your body or your natural desires are, you know, and, and as they come up. So I want to recognize that a, a new a new Christian is going to have a, a little bit of a harder time because it does take time to develop. Um, but in my immaturity, um, I just understood, don't do these things. God says not to do these things. Like, just obey and that did not work well for me. Like, just do it because it's the right thing to do. Well, well, what do I do with these strong urges? The hormones of adolescence are no joke. And it would have been really helpful for me as an adolescent to have someone give me practical strategies to tame those urges. Because the truth is, It's hard, and it's not hard because you're a bad Christian or you're not a good person or whatever. It's hard because these human bodies have desires that are against what God says to do with them. It's hard. Well, you say it would have been helpful to have that. So what what did you have instead of that? Well, I will say I am very grateful for this, and I thank God for it. I grew up in a house where sex was taught as a beautiful thing. Like there was, I did not feel shame about being a sexual person. I don't know, honestly, that I've, I can say I've thought sex was dirty. Like I never, I don't know that I felt that way. I, I, my parents and my mom, especially because my mom and I were closer um, in these kinds of ways and talked about these kinds of things. And I remember it being very much taught as though it was a beautiful thing and was encouraged in the context of marriage that it is to be very enjoyable 
and these kinds of things. And she taught, I mean, explicitly about how that would be. And so I didn't feel shame in talking about it. I asked questions. She answered questions openly. However, what would have been helpful is if she would have acknowledged how difficult it is when you're unmarried or when that is not the time or the place for you to be exploring sexuality with another person or to be having sex freely. And that's not something, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and so I was taught marriage is the place where God is gives you the freedom to explore your sexuality with that person you're married to. And outside of that, it was basically like, don't do this because it will lead to STDs. It will lead to babies that are not ready to come into the world. It will... Um, it's, it's bad. It's bad out of context of marriage, in context of marriage. It's wonderful. Just wait till you get here over to the good side was kind of how it was taught to me. But what do I do in the meantime? There was not as much about that. Yeah. I, I just want to say, like, it's interesting hearing your perspective from it because I grew up not in a household where sex was discussed at all. Mm. It was not mentioned. It was not talked about. It, no, no words whatsoever about the topic of sex. And I think that's most people. And that is a lot of people. You know, that I learned what sex was, unfortunately, because I was abused as a child. Granted, I didn't have the vocabulary to put into words that that is what sex was for many years. Like, it took a long time to really fully understand that that's what was happening. Um, But the other places that I was educated about sex were school. Mm -hmm. At school, what were other kids saying? And that's what I learned about. Oh, well, my mom said this, or this is that. And then I'd be like, hmm, okay. (laughs) And I just, that's the information that I had. Mm -hmm. And... There was this really awesome program, though, that came to school. I was going to school um, in Mayflower, and um, they had this group come in, and they taught about, I guess I was in, like, maybe sixth grade or seventh grade when they taught it. Mm -hmm. They taught about abstinence and the importance of waiting until marriage, and they did these little exercises they told us all about it and the coolest part for me was I always struggled because because of the sexual abuse history that I had I always struggled with shame and like how you said you didn't have shame attached to sex for you for me it was very shameful and the fact that I wasn't a virgin or felt like that because I had been abused um was very shameful to me And if someone asked me, oh, are you a virgin? Well, I didn't know how to answer that. It was confusing for me. Right. And this group that come in, they talked on abstinence. They talked on choice. And they talked about how your body is your body and you have the right to choose. But the beautiful thing that they did is they educated on sexual abuse and and the fact that if you had been abused, you didn't make a choice. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they gave us, me, people like me, permission to claim 
being a virgin because I didn't make that choice. Mm-hmm. And they did this really cool little exercise where they made these little hearts. They cut You cut out these hearts and you put your thumbprint on this heart. And they said, you know, whenever they made a point to say, whenever you have sex with someone, you have to give them half of your heart because you are literally giving a part of yourself. You're mm-hmm. joining yourself to them in some way. And so you're giving them a part of yourself. So mm-hmm. if you're not ready to give someone a part of your heart, then you don't you don't do that. Mm-hmm. And so they gave the, they had these little paper hearts, and I remember mine was blue, and they had purple thumbprint that you put on the middle in the middle of this heart. And I kept that for years, and I was able to um, when I walked out of there, I was just blown away because I had never had anyone talk to me about sex like that before and it it was so moving to mm. me that someone cared enough to share that kind of information and took the time to think about people who had been abused and didn't have a choice mm-hmm. and she basically in her talk gave me a little bit of my power back yeah. and I was able to walk away from that it touched me, y'all. I can't even lie. I, so much so that I wrote the lady a letter later, and she wrote me back. And we exchanged letters a couple of different times throughout the year or two after that. And um, that was my first opportunity to have any discussion about sex. And from that day on, I wanted to wait. Mm-hmm. And so... My education, what I knew came from people, but what I learned that day was that I could do different and I mm-hmm. could make a choice and I had that choice and I had the right to choose and no one could take that from me and I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so what did you decide to do with the choice that you had? Oh, I decided 100% I wanted to wait until I was married. And so after that, any time that I went on a date... Anytime, like, I would kiss a boyfriend if I had a boyfriend. I had, and I had boyfriends all throughout, but I would kiss a boyfriend. We would hold hands or whatever, but like, it didn't go any further than that Mm -hmm. during those years because I wanted to have that for my husband. I wanted to save that for my husband. And also, I did double dates. Like, mm-hmm. when I dated, I would get a friend from church because I started going to church pretty regular after mm-hmm. that. And um, in the church that I went to, they did they did teach um, chastity and staying abstaining from sex until marriage and that that was something that was to be between a man and a wife. So I did have that um, kind of indoctrinated into me, late, you know, as a later teen because... This was, you know, when I was like 12 years old. So as I was 14, 15 years old, I was in a church that they were preaching and teaching Mm -hmm. that. So I got that message from that and from the scripture. And I read that. I talked about it with my church friends. And, you know, not everybody was on par because not everybody handles things the same at that age. But Mm -hmm. my choice, I had made up my mind that that's what I wanted. I wanted to Mm -hmm. wait. Mm -hmm. And... I was blessed to have the opportunity to have people in my circle that supported that lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. although the people at school didn't necessarily support that, my church family did. And Mm -hmm. it was important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you were like as sold out as as a teenager could get. 
so to speak. Yeah. Would you say that? I would. I mean, I didn't stay that way, unfortunately for me. I did end up walking away from the church in my late teens um, when I was about 17, 18 years old. I had a period of time where I stepped out of church. But through those mm-hmm. through those formative years right there, I I was very much sold out. Yeah. And, and so for teenagers... At this stage, mm-hmm. we want to acknowledge that is it. It is incredibly hard, incredibly and it, hard, and it doesn't go away. Like no, you don't come to a point where you're like, oh, and now I don't struggle with sexual <laughs> sin anymore. Right. It's like if you're a human being and your hormones are working like they should, you're going to have something that you're going to have to fight against and tame. And whenever you get married, just because you're freely able to have sex with the person of your choice. Um, well, it, the person of your choice being the person you married, your husband. <laughs> right, your your husband or wife. Right. If you choose to marry that person, you you can have all the sex you want with that person. However, it still is is true that you have to tame it in certain areas, you know, in certain areas, and you have to be cognizant of another person. We're going to get mm-hmm. into that here in a minute, but let's continue kind of along the lines of adolescence, young adulthood, and how do you tame your flesh with those raging hormones? How did you do that? Well, one thing that was super important to me is I was in the Word. I was in the Scripture. I read them a lot. I studied, and I took very seriously the Scripture that said, your body is a temple, Mm-hmm. And that it should be holy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to honor God that way. And so for me, being in the Word was important. Mm-hmm. It, whenever I was weak, I would go to the Word. If I wanted to act out sexually or if I really was like, mm, that boy is fine. <laughs> and I was having thoughts that were impure about him. Like, ooh, I'd like to... Mm, I need to read my Bible, you know, and I would. And also, I thought it was cool because there were some older girls in the church that were maybe like three years older than me, four yeah. years older than me, and yeah. they were already dating, and they were great examples for me because all of them were pure, doing purity-based dating, and they were not mm-hmm. acting immorally. And they had made a commitment, They a real had made commitment. that commitment, and they... They stood by it, and because of that, I had the opportunity to have older adult examples in my life, and um, I was able to talk to them about things. And yeah. That's important, being able you to open mentors. and honest, being able to have open, honest communication with someone in your life, whether so it's a important. friend, a parent, someone from church. Um, just, you need you wisdom. need someone mm-hmm. who's we've all because because girls we've all been there done it right mm-hmm. you know like we all know what it's like to be a teenager mm-hmm. we all know what it's like to struggle with those emotions and we may not all know how to how each scenario plays out for each of our lives mm-hmm. but we all know what it feels like to have a desire and not know what to do with that mm-hmm. besides 
have something in the back of your ear going, oh, well, that's a sin. You better not do that. Mm-hmm. Or have at it, which is what right. some other people have. You know, sure. In the absence of someone telling you what to do, or if you have a parent who's really promiscuous, mm-hmm. you don't have anyone saying, like, I've met tons of people that had no idea that promiscuity was even wrong. That's just right. how they grew up, you know? It's just indoctrinated into life. It's just part of life. It's not... It doesn't feel sinful. Exactly. Because by the same token that some people are um, indoctrinated into that purity life and that that life of we do not fornicate, Mm -hmm. there's also the people that are indoctrinated into, well, we can bring home anybody we want. That's just what we do. This if is, you had a parent who life, brought a boyfriend, you know? a mom or a dad brought a boyfriend or a girlfriend home all the time, like that's just what you saw. And I had friends like that. I had mm-hmm. friends that would move all the time because mom had a new boyfriend and that kind of thing. And um, but for me, I mean, what the thing that I wish I would have had more self control in in my youth in um. Sorry, was, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but there was one other thing that just popped into my mind, and I wanted to say that. Okay. I had a good prayer life. Aside from reading the scriptures and having mentors, I spent a lot of time on my face with God. And that is so important. If if you're struggling in any area of your life, if you can, y'all, start with five minutes. Just give God five minutes. If you'll give Him five every day, eventually you'll find your doing it for seven and then for 10 and then for 15 and next thing you know you're just talking to him all mm-hmm. the time and you're having real conversations with him yeah. about your very real life um sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no you. that's fine worthy of interruption pray to god yeah <laughs> don't need to apologize for that but what i was going to say was that boundaries are essential and i think they are yeah. through the lifespan but that is something that practical boundaries would have been really useful to start out of the gate with dating like, um, for example, go on a date. It would be nice to like go on a date with other people so that like group mm-hmm. dating yeah. or some, uh, you know, people that share similar values and you're all kind of like you said, you had other older girls in the church or other we would other people date. in your youth group or you had other people that were trying to live in a similar way. And I think for the teens I've counseled that have literally not one person that is trying to be abstinent or trying to set sexual boundaries, you are on your own. And on your own is not a good place to be whenever you're trying to be living a consecrated life towards Christ. But even if you do find yourself in that position, you can take control. And by that, instead of, for boundaries, for example, for someone who doesn't have a parent or a guardian or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, friends that, that can support you in that way, then you do it because you still have that ability. And by that, do the easy things. Mm -hmm. Make your date public. Mm-hmm. Don't make it to a dark yes. movie theater where yes. you're alone, squished mm-hmm. together in the back corner, or where you're watching a movie in the basement of mom and dad's house. Don't do that. Go mm-hmm. somewhere public. Go grab a burger. Take a walk in the park. Do mm-hmm. something where there are people around to keep you accountable. Right. Right. Keeping doors open. You know, yeah. we had that rule at my house. I wasn't allowed to have boys in my bedroom. I would, We had to stay in the main areas, and we had to keep doors open. I remember one time we got in trouble because people weren't at home, and we had boys in the bedroom. And we weren't even doing anything wrong, but just their presence in the bedroom. We got yeah. in so much trouble. 
um, we just wanted to listen to this CD. And my parents were like, mm-hmm, end it. <laughs> you know? And so um, we had we had boundaries. But if I'm really honest with myself, which I think that's what I'm called to be, is myself back then was living split. Yeah. Part of me wanted to knew that I needed to be sold out to God. And part of me just was in teenage rebellion. I wanted to go have fun with my friends. And if that meant I want to make out with this guy and he's cute, I want to make out with him. And so I probably knew what boundaries were. And my parents definitely had plenty of boundaries. Oh, I definitely knew what boundaries were, but I knew what boundaries were, but I didn't want them. You know? So I think you have to be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're living, if, if you're a, an adolescent, a young adult, an adult, doesn't matter who you are. Even if you know what boundaries are, there are usually reasons why you don't adhere to them. So and find for out me, what your reasons mm-hmm. are. And for me, I didn't want to because I wanted to have fun. And that's just the God's honest truth. And then God convicted me about that pretty heavy um, early in college. And mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, I really want to live for me. And this part of me is going to have to die. Somebody's going to have to die. It's either going to be this one, this part of me that really struggles to, or that really wants to live for God but struggles, or it's going to be this little selfish girl who wants her way. And somebody's got to die. And at 19, that's a whole other story and probably not a whole other podcast. But I laid that down and really set my will to commit to God and lay down what I wanted for my life. I remember in my dorm room, I said, okay, I've had it, you know, like you win. I know I'm not living the way you want me to. And I am going sold out, man. It's whatever you want to do with my life, I'm game. And, um, and it did change things and it made things easier. So the, the other key practical bit of advice I would say is ask God for help with temptation. Yes. Um, that's the greatest thing you can do because if you think you can fight temptation all on your own, you are being foolish. You cannot. Calling on him and asking him for help is a game changer because you will find that you can fight urges that for some reason that used to be so hard and then you call on him and by only it's a supernatural thing. I've experienced it being able to tame that and it not be so hard. Um, so call on God. You said, pray, find a mentor, Mm -hmm. find somebody you can talk about it with. Um, and a youth leader, a friend, mm -hmm. a trusted family member. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have anybody, because I have, man, I've worked with some teens to find anybody outside of me to talk to and, um, pray about that. If you can't find anybody, say, God, throw somebody into my life to lead me on this journey because I do not know how to walk it by myself. I know I can walk it with you, but I need a human being to guide me who is older and wiser. And, um, and he is faithful. He gives good gifts. Y'all just ask for them. Something that I did want to, I did want to touch on briefly just for a second is, um, you said when you were 19, you you've, you were in college and you've made your decision, you mm-hmm. set your will, and that is, from that moment forward, you had a had a plan and a purpose, and you you were set out to fulfill that. Mm-hmm. Um, funny funny enough, I actually went through a spell between about 17 and 22 or three, maybe even four, that. I fell away from the church. Mm. And so I was super sold out, 
knocking doors on the weekends, like abstinent preaching to my friends, like you shouldn't be doing this. You know, like I was living mm-hmm. a certain way up until about 17, almost 18 years old. There was some things that, that happened in life and th- this is no excuse, but you know, I can't blame anyone but myself, but I allowed those things to take hold in my mind and to work on my heart. And eventually, slowly and little by little, they pulled me further and further away from that relationship that I had with God. And in doing that, I allowed things into my life that I never had before. And so because of that, at 21 years old, I decided to have sex just for the sake of having sex because I was like, well, I guess it's time not to be a virgin anymore. And when I did that, there were kind of like you said, it's a whole other podcast, but there were consequences that I paid for Mm -hmm. those things. But the biggest thing I want to say about that is that I made those choices and those mistakes and they were mistakes. They, they were wrong. They were sin. And I recognized that. And whenever I decided that I no longer wanted to live that life, I was thinking that God wouldn't want me back, you know, and I struggled Mm -hmm. with that shame and that unworthiness and that unworthiness because I'd made a commitment to him and he had done all these great things for me and kept me up until this point. And I just basically, I felt like I spat in his face essentially and just a here, take all your good gifts. I don't want them. You're not worth Mm. the weight anymore. Mm. And when I had that, when I came back to myself and into my right mind, and I had the influence of the enemy and the people that were not... um, Living with Christ? Yeah, not living with Christ. When those... When I separated myself from those people and those things were out of my head, then I had to fight with my own internal dialogue and with the enemy that used that against me. Oh, he'll never love you. You can never come back to him like you're dirty now. Tainted. You aren't worthy. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make this abundantly clear. If you're an adolescent, a young adult, or even um, a recently singled Christian or a later adult who's still single and never been married and you have at some point made the choice to have um, a sexual relationship that was not in the bounds of a godly marriage and you have Mm -hmm. broken those covenants that you made with God, he still loves you. Mm -hmm. He will forgive you. You are not too far gone. You are not Mm -hmm. unlovable. You are not trash. You are not dirty. Don't believe the lies that the enemy will tell you. Fall on your face and repent and find people, a community to help you live out the values that you want for your life Mm -hmm. and ask God to give you those things because he will. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Yes. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. That aren't those David's words from Psalm? Mm. And and he sinned and he cried out for a clean heart and and he was repentant and he got a clean heart. And um so that's a very good point because I don't know anybody who says, Well, 
I've never had an impure thought, nor have I <laughs> right. ever. I mean, I don't think you exist. Um, I'd like to sh- maybe shake your hand and applaud you if that's the case. I think Jesus is the only one that walked in that life. But um, everybody struggles with it. We all live in these human bodies. Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you're not sure how to turn it into reality? You need Ready, Set, Podcast. They make it super easy to create your own podcast. They can help record, edit, and publish your idea. They have prices to fit any budget and options for both hobbyists and professional podcasters. So if you have an idea, reach out to them for a free consultation on their website or social media at www.readysetpodcast.xyz. Ready, Set, Podcast, turning your brilliant idea into reality. You know, we did talk about, we talked about um, having sex outside of marriage and we talked about making out and things. And I just want to also say that the scripture is pretty clear that lust Mm. is also a sin. So if you find yourself daydreaming about having sex with that man or woman or wishing you were with them or thinking about their body all the time, like that is a sin. Right. And you should repent of that. Even if you didn't take an action. Right. Thinking sin starts in your mind. Yep. And it is important. This is a scripture I hang my my hat on every day is take every thought, thought captive, captive and make it obey Christ. It takes 10 minutes for a neuron of little neuron cluster of cells to form in your brain around a thought. And if you can interrupt a thought within the first 10 minutes, you can like deconstruct the sexual real estate (laughs) from forming. And um, it really is important to catch it, to notice it whenever you're doing it and to distract, derail. Um, I have someone who's told me recently, whenever that comes into their head, they say the Lord's Prayer. Every single time they have an impure thought or an idea, they repeat the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is such a good idea. That's a great tactic. That should be in a book somewhere. Well, it was something that I have done in my life whenever I had a sin that I was struggling with. Mm-hmm. Um, every time that thought would come out, up, I would read a scripture. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the but same yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, they use the Lord's Prayer. I, I didn't use a particular one. Mm-hmm. I would just open my scripture to wherever I opened it to. Yeah. And I would just read until I wasn't thinking about that anymore yeah. and then I was good. Yeah. So those are great yeah. things, tools that you can use. Mm-hmm. They're useful at any age. Mm-hmm. But let's shift into single or dating adults yes. and talk about that. So we've already made it pretty clear that if you're not married, you're not to be engaging in sex. Exactly. Um, but this also means that if you're not engaging in sex, you shouldn't be living together. Right. Because living together, I don't know how anyone could be in love and living together and not engage in that. Well, eventually you will cross a boundary. Right. If you do that. And that's right. what you want to avoid. If you don't put yourself in the position to be tempted, then you don't have to worry about that. Right. But before that, you would even cross that bridge to do we move in together or not, um, is there's no sleepovers, you know? So if you're dating or you're single dating, you have, I would assume, two separate places to live because that's right. how it works. Um, and it is not supposed to be if you're spending the night with each other, even if you're, quote unquote, not having sex, it's still not the wisest thing to do because you're 
you're telling yourself probably falsely, um, we can do this. We can, you know, hang yeah. out or spend the night or we're just going to cuddle. I know how that goes. I've played that card before. And then all of a sudden you end up fooling around and d- be realistic. Don't throw yourself in the den be of temptation honest. and go, oh, I can handle it. Let's just see if I can handle it. Yeah. So be wise about that. Also, um, going on vacation. That's very common among Christian couples that are dating, singles. You want to go travel and, you know, go to new places and experience new things and adventures. Mm -hmm. However, what does that look like if you are a sold-out Christian? Do you split and get hotel rooms that are different? Do you go to different hotels altogether? Do you share a room? What do you do? Well, well, that's that's easy for me as far as I I don't have an issue with going on vacation as long as you're going on vacation with other people, be it um, other couples, other family members, but people that also value the things that you value. Mm-hmm. Because the point is to have accountability. You should never, under any circumstances, be sharing a room alone with the person that you're dating. It's just not, it's not a good idea. You are inviting the temptation if Mm -hmm. you do that. So, yeah, if you go on vacation, do that, but do it responsibly. Make sure that there are boundaries, Mm -hmm. there are limits. You're not in his room alone. He's not in your room alone. Y'all are in public together with other people Mm -hmm. and there are people there are people that will hold you accountable in life right and furthermore if we see people who are our friends who are christians who are dating and Mm -hmm. they're you know going on vacations a lot together and and just the two excuse me just the two of them we you need to think about what is your responsibility do you say something or do you just let it fly you know because this is such a common thing and i see this everywhere it is just commonly acceptable that christian couples do this and i just want to go sometimes i just want to like knock on their doors and be, be like okay is this what happens like do y'all share a room is this how is this what we're doing well, and I'm then just- and then they post about it, and it's like, woohoo, look where we are. And I'm like, um, did I miss something? You just, your last post is about Jesus, and this post is about what? Well, and I'm just going to be honest. If, if you're my friend, and this is going on, I'm going to ask you about it. Oh, girl, I know. I mean, it's going <laughs> to happen. I, that's just who I am. I know. And I would hope and pray that I'm surrounding myself with people who would likewise ask me. Oh, you are a friend. Yeah, I know, I know <laughs> that you are. Um, I know that would be a conversation I could not get away from having if that were the case. So another area that needs boundaries is drinking. Yes. Um, consuming alcohol either with someone you're dating or while you're on a first date or what that looks like. Obviously, the Bible's pretty clear that drunkenness is a hard no. Right. Um, but even drinking any alcohol, you have to be cognizant of your own body's um, the impact on your own body. Right. I know for me, obviously, and I think this is just goes without saying that certain alcohol is, affects the body differently. Hard liquor, wine affects me quite differently than a beer. And um, I have clients that 
will set specific boundaries on specific drinks because they affect them in specific ways. And I think that's just smart to do it that way. And I do that. I would do that for myself. So yes, know your limits, right? Know your limits, know what you can drink. I know that certain drinks have certain effects. And so that would just make the temptation or the the self-control I'm trying to have, it would just make that a lot harder if you throw those alcoholic drinks on top of those good plans that you had before you started drinking. Um, another thing that is kind of, guess, I guess this is covers the whole umbrella of Christian dating is Christian in quotes dating versus legit Christian dating. Unfortunately for us as a society, we need to revisit what Christian truly means. If you're doing online dating and you have a dating profile and there's a box, are you a Christian? You check that box, but you do nothing in your life that leads others to know that you are a Christian without you checking that box. You're probably not a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I say all of that to say this, know who you are getting together with, know who Mm -hmm. you know, the company you keep. If you are dating a guy for the first time and they say that they're a Christian and you go to dinner, you go to a nice movie, he's trying to get handsy and feely in the next day, y'all decide to make a second date because you liked him, y'all go on a second date and he's trying to sleep with you that night, you have found a false Christian. There you go. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. You know, if you're, if you want to use that name, then it better mean that you're following Christ. And I'm pretty sure Christ would not be chasing me into the bedroom. That's right. (laughs) And it's just super important that you make sure to protect and guard your own heart and your own body Mm -hmm. because a lot of people out in dating world are not interested in guarding your heart or your body. Right. It's your job. That's your job. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself in a scenario like that, you can say to them, whoa, I thought, you know, we met at church in the young single adult class and you're trying to sleep with me on the second Mm -hmm. date because, and, and I bring that, if you bring that up, if you have the guts and the voice and you're able to say that to the girl or Mm -hmm. guy that is trying to get you to sleep with them. Mm -hmm. If you can use your words and say those things, if you can bring that up and say, Hey, Mm -hmm. we, are you kidding? I I thought we were Christians and they were like, Oh, well, you know, everybody's doing it. We're adults. And I, what just put a draw a hard line. Whoa. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. This is not what I thought we had and walk away. You will be happy that you walk away from that. But I'm just going to tell you the honest truth, guys. This will happen to you if you're dating in the single world. Uh-huh. 95% of us will experience something like this. Yes. People are going to call yes. themselves Christians. They and lose that. They use that term loosely. So just be, be sure that you give yourself time to figure out who you're truly with mm-hmm. before you take yourselves and put yourselves in a position that could lead to them trying to take you to the bedroom. And that is one of the primary benefits of having boundaries in dating, sexual boundaries in dating. You will find out who you're actually dating if you're not sleeping with them. If you are sleeping with them or you are sexually engaged with them, you have a sexual relationship with them, 
you are not going to know who you're really dating. That's right. It is easier to discern a person's heart if you have these boundaries. If you do not, you don't really know who you're dating. Mm -hmm. If you want to know who you're dating, set a sexual boundary. I guarantee you they won't be the same person. That's right. Or if they are legit who they say they are, if they are a follower of Christ and that is what they tout and that is what they say, set the sexual boundary. That's when you'll find out. That's when you'll find out who you actually really have. Do you want to know the truth on the front end, or would you rather continue a relationship with a pseudo-Christian wearing a mask and find out in marriage that you really don't have what you think you had? And just keep your eyes open. Go into dating with both eyes open, mm-hmm. with your ears open, in prayer, um, with boundaries, mm-hmm. set out to protect yourself, um, and to honor God. Most mm-hmm. importantly, honor him. And if you find that a man is or a woman is pressur- pressuring you in any aspect of this, and they don't honor what's important to you, turn around. You are not away. equally yoked. And that's the most important thing that you can do when entering a relationship, especially an intimate relationship with a partner that you're looking to maybe possibly spend the rest of your life with, you have got to be equally yoked. Mm-hmm. The healthiest marriages are marriages that are equally yoked. That is how it's supposed to be. We're actually told, do not become unequally yoked. I think it's Second Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Well, let me just stop right there before I go any further. There are unbelievers masquerading as like as the... Wait, let me say that differently. There are Christians masquerading around as Christians, but actually they are themselves unbelievers whenever you get to know their fruit. By your fruit, by their fruit you will know them. Yeah. If someone is living according to Christ's like if he is or she is following in Christ's ways, they're going to look like Christ. Their fruit is going to be beautiful on the tree. It should bear fruit. If it's not bearing fruit, it's probably not a not a, a real believer. So it says, Second Corinthians six fourteen. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? If you are light, go find light to engage with. Yes, and don't let yourself be caught up in those little half truths and find yourself rationalizing mm-hmm. why. It's okay to do to go just this far. Yeah. It, yeah. You have got to draw a boundary, a hard boundary, and stick to it. Yeah. Don't bend those boundaries because that's when you'll realize that you allow those temptations to take over. And I did that. I have made that mistake. I have recognized that, and I had lied to myself for a lot of years saying... Um, years into my marriage, I was like, oh, we fooled around or we went too far or we crossed sexual boundaries. And look at that. We were safe. You know, um, we still have a great marriage and boy, did I not know (laughs) if I had taken that advice that I just gave, if you want to discern a person's heart, set a sexual boundary. If I had, if I had done that and practiced self-control myself and held it firmly, it 
very likely would have changed the trajectory of my whole life. Yeah. I would have definitely seen what I needed to see, and I did not. And so I thought I went into marriage from most of the years of my marriage thinking that what I did in dating really, thank God, didn't have much of an effect on my marriage. That's a, a giant lie. Yeah. And I know, and that it's now. a hard thing to look at and mm-hmm. to to say, oh, I, but mm-hmm. you're able to see that now, right? And you can help someone else, hopefully, not make the same mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eyes wide open. And so, for our married couples, God gives really specific instructions mm-hmm. through Paul in First Corinthians. He talks about in First Corinthians seven. Um, so before we jump into the scripture. I just want to set the stage a little bit. Like the Corinthians had written to Paul okay. about, they had questions. They had questions about sex and they were asking him about that. So mm-hmm. what he's doing in this this letter to them is he is responding to their questions. Okay. So it says, now for the matters you wrote about, quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, it was happening in their culture. Their culture, yeah. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then you come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. He was a celibate single. Mm -hmm. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So what is this saying? This is saying that sex between a man and a woman in marriage, it should be happening. Sounds like he's saying it should be happening consistently. Well, first he's saying that it should only be happening between each other. Between that married couple. Right. No it, outside people. No outside sex. So the, he's saying sexual immorality mm-hmm. is you having sex with someone you're not married to. Right. So that Even if you both agree. Let me be yes. clear about that. Threesomes are against the Lord's plan. Even if you both agree. That's Even right. if you're consenting adults that this might be a fun thing, let me tell you, it will crash and burn. It very much usually does. Um but it is saying very explicitly, we don't bring other people in, even if we all know about it. Right. No open marriages. Yep. Um, it is other-oriented. It is not selfish. There is mutual reciprocity. So it's not like this This set of scriptures can sometimes be misused, where it's like, um, you know, this is your, your body is mine. I can do with it whatever I've wanted it to. I have seen people abuse other people with Mm -hmm. this scripture. And let me be clear about this. It's mutually reciprocal. It is saying that a husband's wife is not, a, a husband's body is not his own and a wife's body is not her own. You are to come to the sexual relationship 
thinking not of yourself, but of the other, looking to meet the needs of your spouse and not just think about what you can get from your spouse sexually. And he says in here, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent Mm -hmm. and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Now, I know that this may be confusing to some people. And to others, they feel like they don't have a choice but to give themselves to their husband every single time their husband wants it, even Mm -hmm. if it's a detriment to them. Yeah. And this is how I feel about this. And I, I implore you all, if you disagree or if you are confused on this topic, to take it to God and pray about it. If your spouse, if you're married and you have this discussion with your spouse and y'all are at impasse, pray together mm-hmm. and separate and then come back together and have multiple conversations about this because mm-hmm. it says do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. But I want to make this very clear. Mm-hmm. Trauma is a real thing. People have trauma. For me, for example, I will use myself. I have sexual trauma because of the way that I was abused as a kid and how I grew up. Once I enter into a marriage covenant with my husband, there may be something about him or about the sexual nature of what we're doing whenever we're having sex or something that leads up to that. There may be a circumstance that triggers my trauma. Mm-hmm. I am not saying run out and if my husband says, now nah, I'm going to have sex with you, I don't care if it hurts your feelings or it hurts mm-hmm. you. The true test of this is if you are really with someone who is equally yoked, who is sold out to God, who is a servant and seeks God first, He is not going to want to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And if he realizes that it is hurting you, he is going to stop and figure out what he can do differently. Mm -hmm. What do you need? It says specifically that this should be other-oriented, not selfishly motivated, and mutually reciprocated. Mm -hmm. So... Husbands, wives, if you are coming together and there is an issue, talk about it. Mm -hmm. Take it to God. If you can't get a resolution there, take it to a therapist. Do not hurt each other. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, I'd like to say if your partner is the one abusing you, whether that is psychological, physical, emotional, mental, sexual. Mm -hmm. If you have a partner who is messing with your head or your body in an abusive way, you have a right to say, no, you are not going to do this, and I am not going to be coerced into sex. Rape does happen in marriage. Yes, it does. Coercion happens in marriage. Abuse happens in marriage. And we want to make it very clear that we are not saying at all that if you are finding yourself in those situations that you just need to know that your body is your husband's and you have to do whatever, you know, that is absolutely not what we are saying. Right. But I also want to say to those people who be like, 
who want to deprive their husband to withhold sex from them as a punishment for something in the marriage. Mm-hmm. There are there are are ways to handle things, problems that come up. First, I think you should seek professional help yes. if that those kind of things Absolutely. come into play. But also, if you are holding the other token, the other side of that coin is that if you're hold, withholding sex from your spouse for punishment or for these reasons that are not good reasons, then you are sinning. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for some people to hear because you could be like, I, yeah, that's I a lot of marriages right now. Yeah. You have just hit people in the head right there. And I'm sorry to to say that, but you, I, I owe it to you and we owe it to each other to have an honest discussion. Right. There, there's a reason. And, and Paul says it here. He says it so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You entered into this marriage. You joined your husband or wife. You became one flesh. And in doing that, you agreed to make them, other than God, the next most important thing in your life. Mm -hmm. It is your job to honor them, to love them, to respect them, to serve them. Mm -hmm. And that works both ways ways both for the man and for the woman. Right. So if withholding sex is your punishment to your spouse, you need to to talk to someone about that. You yeah. need to talk to God about it. You need to repent. And if you are abusing your spouse, the other side of that token, if you are abusing them in any way, you need to fall on your face. Mm-hmm. Because either way, you cannot honor God with your body mm-hmm. and your sexuality in your marriage without that. Yeah. Without have- repenting and looking at your side of the what you can control. You can't control what your spouse does. Right. But you can control what you do and what you invite. And if you don't want to have sex with your spouse, you need to be curious about why that is. There is something that we also know that just basic resentment Mm -hmm. can get in between hurt feelings. You don't even have to be in an abusive relationship. Just the -the run-of-the-mill resentment and annoyance and hurt feelings and cold shoulder silent treatment for a few days. And not having sex or engaging or even looking at, at each other in the eyes for however long. Those kinds of things have to Stop. If you don't know how to break the cycle and make new moves to get out of that cycle, yes, you need a Christian couples therapist yes. to help you because it is not going to be easy to do on your own. And it's it's sometimes hard, you know. A lot of times, people get married young and they have been taught you don't have any sexual relationships. You don't do anything sexual. Before marriage, they get married, and all of a sudden, it's free game. Mm -hmm. And now you're like, what? Everything I learned, (laughs) I learned from a movie, and I don't know how to make this work in a marriage. It's hard work. And it's okay to not have all the answers. And it's okay to seek help outside yourself. It's okay. But the biggest thing I could stress to you is communicate with your partner. Mm -hmm. They cannot read your mind. They cannot. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you can have 
an open, honest communication with them, that is a huge help, and it's a great place to start. Right. And if you don't think that your um, spouse would... if if you don't think your spouse would take a look with you, you can do the work on your sure. own. When one part changes, the other part is invited to change. Now, they, may, they don't have to go into mm-hmm. change. But if you yourself decide, this is not okay, and he or she, spouse, will not talk to me about or engage in any sort of change, you go to therapy. You go explore this yourself. You go wherever you need to go to get the wisdom. Go to God. Go to, um, like we said, go to counseling and unpack this with someone who understands these dynamics of, of couples yes. and marriages so that you can start to see your part, look in your mirror and say, what is mine to own? What mm-hmm. do I need to do on my side of the street to invite my partner into this conversation of change? What yeah. do I need to change and what can I bring to, to the table to do something differently? So do your part. Um, look in your own mirror first and repent and pray. Pray for your sexual life. This is also such a, a, a wonderful mm-hmm. opportunity that unfortunately many Christian couples don't take. How often do we pray for our sex lives to be awesome? Yeah. You should. <laughs> when, when, if every single part of your life you might um, pray to God about and ask for blessing. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be present in your sexual relationship, yes. to give you blessing, to to bless your bodies, to bless your bodies well into the aging process. He gives good gifts, so why don't we ask for them? God wants us to have the most connected marriages that we can have. And he wants us to draw closer to each other. And mm-hmm. he wants our relationships with each other in marriage to be able to draw us closer with him. Yep. And thank him for that. I mean, if you've any if any of you have experienced the richness and depth of a connected, safe marriage, I hope that you throw your hands up and thank God for that gift. Because he is in that gift. And... Also, at the same time, he wants us to have a healthy marriage, but he doesn't want us to idolize our partners or romantic partners or spouses in any way. An idol is anything we put before God. Yeah. So that includes people we're in love with. That can be our... Romantic partners, it can be someone we're dating, it can be someone we're just infatuated with, it can be a, a friend, it can be a family member. Um, Luke, a job, pretty, mm-hmm. a sport, um, any, literally anything that you worship, anything you put on a pedestal, anything you think about more than you think about God, anything mm-hmm. you spend more Stuff, time doing money. than you spend on God. Right. And so Luke is pretty clear when we do this in relationships. In Luke 14, he talks about how, and it's Jesus. Jesus is saying, you pretty much have to almost, I think he uses the word hate, doesn't he? He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate your father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Those are some strong words, Jesus Christ. That is strong. He is saying, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me can't be my disciple. He's like saying, don't put anyone in front of me. 
or anything. Mm-hmm. So I guess how this would show up in marriage specifically is if you're, you have a date planned with your spouse or you have plans to be together or, um, and God interrupts that and says, I want you to do this. I want you to go intercede for someone. I want you to call a friend. They're in trouble. You know, if someone, Mm -hmm. he puts someone on your heart or gives you something to do. And then you have to turn to your spouse and say, God's calling me to do this. And if your spouse gets mad at you because you're following God in that moment and you flip the script and change the plan, then you've done what you're supposed to do if you're following God. On I guess the opposite of that is if you feel guilty because God's calling you to do this and you feel badly because you've got to change the plan. You end up not doing that, not obeying God because you feel badly for canceling plans. Um, Then you have just chosen your spouse over God. And that's an idol, according to Luke 14. Mm -hmm. So we need to be careful of that because... You know, I'm kind of checking myself as a as a couples therapist. I want my couples to be in love with each other and communicating and, and you know, being each other's number one human, so to speak. But we shouldn't be each other's number one, really. You should be a close, you should be number two. Yeah. And if your spouse is asking you to be number one and you are a believer, uh, you're a follower of Christ, they are asking you to idolize them. Yep. You know, something that's important to note here is if you, if God is asking you, if y'all have date night planned and God puts it on your heart to interrupt that and you need to spend time with him or to phone a friend who is, or a sister or brother in Christ that's in trouble Mm -hmm. and God has put that on your heart and you need to do that. It is more than okay to turn to your spouse and say, babe, I am sorry that we aren't going to get to do our plans tonight. I will make it up to you this this week. We will make it happen, mm-hmm. you know. Follow and follow through with that. Uh, show them that you love and respect them and you honor them and you want to spend time with them. They are a priority, but God has asked you to do something and that will always be first. Mm-hmm. And that that little bit of communication goes a long way. Right. In a marriage, right. in a relationship. Very sound advice, friend. The other side of that token being, if you are the the partner or spouse or um, friend of the person who's being left behind, say you are getting canceled, your plans have now changed. And, mm-hmm. and I just want you to know it's okay to be disappointed. And yeah. that's fine. But if you find a bitterness in your heart or a jealousy towards your spouse or resentment, then you need to be the one repenting Mm -hmm. because you're asking your partner to put you before God. And that's just unacceptable. Mm -hmm. He is supposed to be number one and he is a jealous God. He is. He wants that spot. And, we should give it to him. Mm-hmm. He, he deserves nothing less. That's 100% the case. 
And so we hope that this episode has helped, um, will help you. If it, if anyone's been on your heart as you've listened to it, um, and you feel prompted to share it, please do. This is a hard topic to talk about. Mm-hmm. And even for, you know, <laughs> Mature adults, I say mature adults, I almost stopped myself. Not everybody grows up on the inside, but everybody (laughs) grows up on the outside. And so there are a lot of grown-up looking people who really don't know how to engage in conversation about sex, who are now having kids who need this conversation. So if you need to share it with your kids or your young adults or um, whoever whoever you think of, please do. Um, it is our prayer and it is our hope that wherever you are in your stage of life, Mm -hmm. that you can listen to these words, that you go to the word, that you ask the Holy Spirit to come with you and to wake up and talk to you while you're reading scripture and while you're communicating and listening to God about this topic and about what that looks like in your life. And so um, I just want to pray over everyone who's listening. And um, let's do that in close. Yes. Dear Holy Papa, Lord, we know that you have this message that you have given us to give to the people who are going to hear it. And we pray that it hits the ears and the hearts of the people that you want it to hit. Um, we pray that for anyone listening, that if you need to convict them, we know it is you, Holy Spirit, that convicts. It is not us. Mm-hmm. And I pray that those words reach the hearts of the men and women who hear them, that they hear that you love them. And this it is your desire that um, that we use our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. It is what you ask us to do. And in doing that, you long to give us good gifts and good blessings. And I pray that the the message that they hear is that it's not just um, do these things, but it is all about honoring you and receiving the blessing and the gift that comes from living a consecrated life to you. And if we are acting a fool and not constraining our flesh, then we're going to pay some, some, we're going to suffer and we're going to pay such hard prices for those mistakes. And we will, you're trying to protect us from that. And we thank you for that, God, that you've given us these instructions so that we will not have to suffer um, unnecessarily. And I pray that you would convict and speak to those also for the person who is listening, who has sexual shame or has been abused. I pray that, God, you touch that person, that man, that woman, that child's heart and speak to them. I love you. I love you. You are mine. You are, um, if it is abuse, that it is not your fault and that um, if you have made mistakes consciously, that you are forgiven and loved, and you are a gracious God. And we thank you for being a gracious God who forgives us of our sins. And um, I pray that you would sit in such sweetness with the people and the souls that listen to this and love on them and show them and guide them with your Holy Spirit how they can live sanctified lives in 
in you and that how they can find joy in this, not just, um, it's not oppressing to follow you when we have a real relationship with you. And I pray that everyone who hears this comes into a real relationship with you so they can hold that truth in their mind and their body and their spirit. And this is what I pray. And I ask you to do this Lord by your, by the power of your Holy Spirit, please make it so. And in your name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the God Be Crazy podcast. If the message of the podcast resonates with you, please make sure to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. We also encourage you to rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform. By doing this, you may help others hear the podcast as well. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or just share it the good old fashioned way. Talk about it with the people in your life. It is our hope that you will be blessed and strengthened by the truth and crazy love of God. 